Welcome back to the Powell Butte Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the lead pastor here at Powell Butte Christian Church in beautiful Central Oregon. It's good to have you with us uh, in our Psalms series. This is our fourth week. We've uh, looked at uh, Psalm uh, 100, Psalm 136, Psalm 5, and today, Psalm 23. Now, there are memorable numbers out there. You know, if you think about numbers that are significant to people, um, of course, their birth dates, their anniversaries, uh, but... Um, for Americans, uh, we, we uh, think of 1492 as a significant number. Um, December 7, 1941, a significant number. Y2K, I remember that being a significant number. 9-11. <clears throat> now, you cannot deny that 9-11 is one of those incredibly important numbers to us as Americans. As my mind goes back to remember what was going on uh, on that day and the, the subsequent days following, I, I began to... I remember when President George W. Bush got on TV and uh, he gave a speech to America to um, bring us comfort, to um, encourage us, and to uh, basically give a warning to our enemies who had attacked us. And I remember that he actually used another number that was very significant uh, to this world, and that's the number 23, or 23rd, as in the 23rd psalm and it spoke comfort to our nation because that's what psalm 23 does most most people have heard of psalm 23 it's been called uh, by some people the sweetest song ever written lincoln abraham lincoln read it when he was battling depression Um, we read it during memorial services Again, President Bush chose to quote part of that when he was trying to bring comfort and direction to a nation that was reeling from this unprecedented attack. It's one of the most familiar portions of Scripture, and yet, because of the time that we live in, the area that we live in, a lot of us are suburbians, uh, some of us uh, live in the city, not all of us uh, understand what it means to grow grow, um, animals on a farm. And so I think sometimes we we are in danger of missing the depths of the meaning, though we understand its comfort. I, I think uh, for some of us, we don't get it as as much as somebody like a shepherd would have gotten it. Um, see, I, I wasn't in 4-H growing up in suburbia. Um, I grew up in suburban San Jose. I wasn't in 4-H. I didn't know much about sheep. The only shepherds that I knew about were my my friends who put towels over their heads and robes on for the annual Christmas pageant. And yet, the Bible speaks of sheep often. It often connects God's people to sheep. Uh, In fact, it does so 200 times throughout Scripture. The 23rd Psalm is is the psalm that we're going to study today, and I'm praying that God's going to open up our hearts to understand why it's important uh, for us to identify as sheep. So we're going to look at the psalm together, and in fact, I bet many of you can quote it with me. And so, as you're listening to me, if you care to try, let's start with the first three verses, starting with, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. All right, now, you can tell I'm quoting it from the King James Version because that's how I learned it as a kid, okay? The first thing, though, I want you to see from the 23rd Psalm is the person of the shepherd. You see, as we identify as the sheep, it's really good for us to identify who is our shepherd. We need to see the person of the shepherd here. 
the first two words of the psalm open up the Lord. Now, most likely, if you're following along in your Bible, that word Lord is uh, composed of all capital letters, capital L-O-R-D. What's that all about? Well, after God told Moses his name in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, by saying, I am who I am. That was how God wanted to be known by, uh, known by his people. Um, however, as the years passed, uh, the Jews, and by the way, there are a couple of ideas out there as to why this happened, but after several years, the Jews began to not use his name. They, they would not write out his name. They wouldn't say his name. They wouldn't even write out the full name of God, so they would shorten it by using only the Hebrew consonants in the name. And those four Hebrew letters, Yod, He, Vav, and He, became known as the Tetragrammaton, and they would serve in their literature as the name of God whenever they were writing something. The point is is that the name of God has always been revered. To some, even speaking his name was disrespectful, though I personally tend to believe otherwise. I, I think that God wanted us to use his name. That's why he gave it to us. But one thing is for sure, <clears throat> no matter when uh, this came about to just use the tetragrammaton, the evidence is there that uh, King David would not have used that tetragrammaton. That was something that most likely came after his reign. <clears throat> so David, as he's writing this, the, the shepherd's psalm, what we translate as the Lord David probably actually used God's full name, the Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh, actually using Yehovah or Jehovah or Yahweh, however you would want to say it. So that tells me that the psalm is very, very personal. And it's how God has identified himself to Moses, how God wanted his people to know him by, and the letters and the pronunciation of that name indicates the eternal nature of God. It's almost like it's a contraction of the one who was, who is, and is to come, some people believe. So not only is it a personal by using God's true name, David also chooses to call the Lord my shepherd. In other words, this is not just God who is, um, it's not just God who's connected personally with this psalm. David is identifying it with it as well, because God is not just any shepherd. He is David's shepherd. He's a personal shepherd shepherd, if, if you will. I love the image of God as a shepherd, according to Isaiah 40, where uh, Isaiah says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd, and he will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them close to his heart, and he will gently lead those that have young. I, I love that personal nature of God. Now, the second thing to note is in the opening lines is the provision of the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, which means that because he's a personal shepherd, we can be content with what he provides for us. <clears throat> I, I heard a story about a Sunday school teacher who asked the kids to quote uh, Psalm 23, and this is probably second grade, third grade class, and this one little kid, the, the words weren't perfect. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. Yeah, that's not the words, and yet that is the attitude, that is the message, isn't it? Psalm 34, 9 says, Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. I, I believe that that's really one of the main points of this psalm, is that when we fear him, <clears throat> when we trust him, when we follow him as our shepherd, when we have this personal connection with him, when he is our shepherd, then we will not lack nothing. 
And yet we miss the provision if we live with discontentment in our life. He provides, and some of us are not content with what he provides. There was a a poem by a man named Jason Lehman that I ran across. It, It goes like this. It was spring, but it was summer that I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall that I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was the winter that I wanted, the beautiful snow and the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring that I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood that I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was twenty, but it was thirty that I wanted, to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was twenty that I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-aged that I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. Then my life was over, and I never got what I wanted. To me, that's chilling. But such a great illustration of where we live today. We live in a culture of discontentment. It's what our society basically is based on. I, I wonder how little you and I could be able to live on if we were not constantly shown by the media all the things we don't have. Could we be content with much less than what we have? I believe so. Max Lucado refers to discontentment as the prison of want. He says, if we live in discontent, we will imprison ourselves to the desire for something bigger, something nicer, something faster. He says, if your happiness comes from something that you deposit or drink or drive or digest, then you are in the prison of want. As our shepherd, God cares about our nourishment. And so at regular times, he makes us lie down in green pastures. The Jewish historian Josephus noted how shepherds would force rest on the sheep at times, especially pregnant mamas or, or nursing lambs. God instituted the Sabbath very, very early on for his people. And as I have discovered, whether or not I I intend to, I I will get a Sabbath. God will make me lie down if I don't lie down myself. See, I will either plan a Sabbath for myself or I will run myself so ragged that God will force a Sabbath upon me. But even that forced rest is for my own good. The shepherd leads us to our nourishment. He also leads us to be refreshed in streams that are safe for us to drink from. This is good because we often choose to find satisfaction and refreshment in things and places that are pretty dangerous for us. Places that, if we're not careful, we could uh, get uh, sucked into and and we we could drown. God knows what's going to bring refreshment to our souls, to our anxious hearts, But he knows the right places for us to find that satisfaction, so he can be trusted to lead us to the quiet waters. And lastly, the provision of the shepherd restores us, leads us in paths that will proclaim the goodness of our shepherd. Now, most of us know the right road that we should take, but often our selfishness or our sinfulness take us away from the right path. And so, whether we like it or not, we actually do need a shepherd to guide us down the right way because, like sheep, sometimes we have no sense of direction even though we think otherwise. And as we submit to the shepherd, he leads us in the paths of righteousness. Do you see that? He, he does this. He leads us in righteousness, in integrity, in living the right kind of life 
so that he will get the credit. It's for the sake of his name. God guides us for his sake. Yes, it is for our sake as well, because we will be protected and guided to the the right places. But ultimately, his reputation is at stake. He's the one who has called us by his name. His character should be on display in our life. And so if we call ourselves by his name and yet not walk down those paths of righteousness, then his reputation is the thing that gets thrown into the dirt. See, his name, it's an eternal name that declares an eternal purpose. We must lift that up and he will be lifted up as we follow him down the paths of righteousness. As we, as we walk down those paths, his purposes will be proclaimed. So that's the first three verses of the psalm. Let's see if we can remember after um, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This next part starts with the word yea. Okay, ready? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. I'm going to stop there. Because now this this shows a shift of scenes, right? Up until now, the sheep are in sunshine. They've got quiet waters and green pastures. But here, now we see a shift. Now the sheep are in the shadows. David is proclaiming that God not only takes care of us in the good times, he also guides us through the dark seasons of life. In other words, in this psalm, we also see not just the person of the shepherd and the provision of the shepherd, but we see the protection of the shepherd. Here's something interesting to note, like like we saw last week. Here is a pronoun shift again. Up until now, David praises the shepherd using third-person pronouns, he, him, his, to refer to God. But as we hit verse 4, there's a shift. The same one that we saw last week in Psalm 5. Because now David speaks directly to God. He says, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. He's talking to God directly. You see, when we need protection, that's when God becomes really real to us. Now for David... That valley of the shadow was actually a way of describing very real places in Israel where shepherds would really guide their their flocks through. You see, again, by going from pasture to pasture to give them the, the best nourishment, oftentimes shepherds would need to get sheep from one pasture to another, and that path would lead sometimes through these towering cliffs that would block out the sun. They literally were valleys of the shadow. Places of real danger where wild animals might be laying in wait or, or would-be thieves were lurking, awaiting a victim to, to waylay. But notice that David said, even though I walk through the valley. You see, David has learned that the dark times might seem to last forever, but they don't. Because we're not just led into the valley so that we stay there. We don't have to stay in the valley of the shadow. Yes, God allows us to go in, but there's a promise that, like what they say, this too shall pass. We, we, we walk through. We walk through the valley, which means we're going to get to the other side eventually. A destination is awaiting us. I think it was um, the Reverend Robert Schuler of the Crystal Cathedral that famously said, tough times never last, but tough people do. 
The, the valley of the shadow does not last, but the shepherd wants to lead us through because there's something better on the other side. See, I'm not so sure that we should be focusing on the strength of the people as much as we can praise the strength of the shepherd who leads the people, right? See, it's in his hands that we see the rod and the staff, the, the rod that strikes down the enemies of our soul that want to drag us down into despair. It's the staff that serves as a constant reminder of the presence of, of our shepherd, though the darkness may hide him from our sight. Yes, we will pass through, but not on our own strength. Because the sheep aren't carrying the rod and the staff, right? <laughs> they are fully relying on the shepherd for direction, for guidance, for courage, if you will, and for safety, for protection. In the same way, we must lean on God for all that we need to find um, protection and comfort in that protection. We need that protection because we also have enemies. And yet, King David conveys a strong assurance in the protection and the provision of the shepherd. He says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. So it doesn't matter that I have enemies. I'm going to be taken care of. I am going to be shown favor. You know, the best place, at least from what I've read, for sheep to graze is on a table land, which is like a flat mesa. And apparently what would happen is a shepherd would <clears throat> go and inspect the mesa for anything that might be dangerous, uh, poisonous plants or predators, that kind of thing. And there, then on the mesa, he, he would know then that his sheep, as they would graze on that mesa, would be protected. And, and by the way, by doing it up on a tableland, there was only one approach that the shepherd had to guard once he knew that the mesa was safe. That's what our shepherd does for us. He clears the path. It's like he is laying out the table, this table land for us in the presence of our enemies. And then he guards us so that they cannot get to us. Now we get to a section where the shepherd's protection goes deeper than just guarding us from predators. What's the next part of uh, verse 5? Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. A few weeks back, our Wednesday night Bible study uh, learned about this. We have been going through Max Locato's study called Traveling Light, which breaks down Psalm 23, by the way. I love his take on why oil would be used on sheep. He explained it so well that I'm actually going to quote from his book, Traveling Light. Um, it's, it's a great description because Max Locato really communicates very, very well. Um, he says, a little livestock lesson might help. In ancient Israel, shepherds used oil for three purposes, to repel insects, to prevent conflicts, and to heal wounds. Bugs bug people, but they can kill sheep. Flies, mosquitoes, and gnats can turn the summer into a time of torture for the livestock. Consider nose flies, for example. If they succeed in depositing their eggs into the soft membrane of the sheep's nose, the eggs become worm-like larvae, which drive the sheep insane. One shepherd explains, For relief from this agonizing annoyance, sheep will deliberately beat their heads against trees, rocks, posts, or brush. In extreme cases of intense infestation, a sheep may even kill itself in a frenzied endeavor to gain respite from the aggravation. End quote. Max continues on. He says, When a swarm of those nose flies appears, sheep panic. 
they run, they hide, they toss their hands up and down. Uh, they, they toss their heads up and down for hours. They forget to eat. They aren't able to sleep. Ewes stop milking and lambs stop growing. The entire flock can be disrupted, even destroyed by the presence of a few flies. For this reason, the shepherd anoints the sheep. He covers their heads with an oil-like repellent. The fragrance keeps the insects at bay and the flock at peace. At peace, that is, until mating season. Most of the year, sheep are calm, passive animals. But during mating season, everything changes. The rams put the ram in rambunctious. They strut around the pasture and flex their necks, trying to win the attention of the new gal on the block. When a ram catches her eye, he tosses his head back and says, I want you, baby. About that time, her boyfriend shows up and tells her to go someplace safe. You better move, sweetie. This could get ugly. Then the two rams lower their heads and pow, an old-fashioned old headbutt breaks out. To prevent injury, the shepherd anoints the rams. He smears a slippery, greasy substance over the nose and head. This lubricant causes them to glance off rather than crash into each other. They still tend to get hurt, however, and these wounds are the third reason the shepherd anoints the sheep. Most of the wounds the shepherd treats are simply the result of living in a pasture. Thorns prick, or rocks cut, or a sheep rubs its head too hard against a tree. Sheep get hurt. As a result, the shepherd regularly, often daily, inspects the sheep, searching for cuts and abrasions. He doesn't want the cut to worsen. He doesn't want today's wound to become tomorrow's infection. Isn't that a great picture of how God protects us? He deals with our trials in a way that shows us that we can trust him. He helps us learn to live in harmony with others, and he brings us comfort when life beats us up. So anyways, uh, finally, King David notes the pleasure of the shepherd. Psalm 23, the next verse says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have been singing songs that are based on uh, these psalms that we are studying at church on the uh, Sunday services that we have. And um, I would recommend you, if uh, you wanted to do uh, this, to look up Shane and Shane. They've got a song called Surely Goodness, Surely Mercy. And it's a beautiful song. And, and that's what we're going to be singing in one of our services this upcoming weekend. Uh, but it, it really talks about the pleasure of the shepherd. You see, when we look at the Hebrew word to follow, it will follow me all the days of my life. That literally means to, it will pursue us. It will pursue us. It, it, it's not like we're taking the lead and it's following us. No, it chases us down. It pursues us. The message, if you read this in the message, it translates your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. And that's, that's pretty cool. For those who learn to trust the shepherd, we experience his goodness, which actually, as he demonstrates that goodness, he receives pleasure in knowing that we know how good he is. He loves to show us his goodness. It brings him pleasure to do good for us. That's our God's nature. See, we were created to be in relationship with him. We weren't just created to follow the rules we were not created to merely exist for our own pleasure. In another portion of Scripture that has made its way into a worship song, we read in Revelation 4, 
verses 10 through 11, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and they worship him that liveth forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, thou art worthy, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, glory and honor, glory and honor and power, for thou hast created, hast all things created, thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are created. For thou art worthy, O Lord. See, for his pleasure we were created. And so in his goodness, and he is good, in his goodness, in his chesed, in his loving kindness, he reaches out to us to provide and to protect because it's his pleasure to do so. And it's not just taking care of us in this life, but preparing a place for us in the next life. What a way to end the psalm. A, a statement of confidence. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How can we be sure? Because this is what brings pleasure to God. In John chapter 15, Jesus tells his disciples, I've told these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I believe that Jesus is also meaning that his joy is complete when we come to him and one day we'll live with him forever. You see, when you come to Jesus, God rejoices. Not just metaphorically by giving your heart to Jesus. I mean that when you go see Jesus one day, at the end of your life, when you go see Jesus, guess what? Psalm 116 tells us how precious to God is the death of his saints. Doesn't that seem kind of crazy to us? That at the end of our life, when everybody else is mourning, it's as if God is just waiting to welcome us into his presence. And so it gives him great joy. It's precious to him when we die because this was what we were created for. A perfect union with him in the place that he prepared for us. That brings the shepherd pleasure. As I wrap up this message, there are a couple things to consider. Number one... <clears throat> You, you need to remember that the shepherd is always seeking sheep that have gone astray. Jesus one time told a parable about the shepherd that was concerned that one of his sheep had been lost. And Jesus tells the story that the shepherd actually leaves the 99 to go search for the one. And when he finds it, there's great rejoicing. And Jesus said, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. There, there was a time in recent past when churches talked about seekers. These were people who had not yet found the Lord. And yet, if you consider yourself a seeker, if you think that that's what you are in that category, let me be very clear. It's Jesus who's the seeker. Okay, He is seeking you. If you're a lost sheep, he is seeking you. That's how much God desires for you to come back into a relationship with him. We are told in Scripture that Jesus lives right now, today, to be the go-between, between you and God, the intercessor. And as the good shepherd, he is out looking for you to bring you back. The second thing to remember is this. It is to our benefit as his sheep to learn to listen to his voice. Sheep who learn to listen to the right voice are going to be the ones that follow down the right path. They're going to find the best pastures in their life. They're going to find the safest streams to drink from. Too often we get a picture of a shepherd 
And this is wrong. Uh, it's an erroneous picture of a shepherd who cares only about being in charge. Do this because I've told you to do it, right? This, the good shepherd, is the shepherd uh, who lays down his life for us. Not the shepherd who lays down arbitrary rules, who doesn't care about the benefit of his sheep. You see, the ways of God are good and pure. They are described in Scripture as lamps for our footsteps, lights for our path. See, there's a purpose when the shepherd guides, and we would benefit from learning what his voice sounds like and learn to follow his voice, even if it's through a valley of the darkest shadow, even the darkest one that you could think of, the valley of of the shadow of death. Why? Well, because we've got a shepherd who has been there and who overcame. And so as we close, I would like for this psalm to permeate your brain, your heart. Let this be your prayer. I, I want to, uh, if, if you can, let's recite the psalm together as we close. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God bless you guys. I want to thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Lisa Welly, for being my executive producer. Thank you, Steve Pittman, for being the tech guru here at Pal Butte Christian Church. If you're ever in our area, please come visit us and tell us that you're listening. Love to hear from you. Uh, you can uh, email me at trey, T-R-E-Y dot P-B-C-C at gmail. And uh, love, love to hear from you as well that way. God bless you. We'll uh, talk to you next week.